Welcome to Know Your Risk and Insurance Coverage with Risk ProNet, where we will discuss all things insurance for you and your company. Risk ProNet is a network of independent agencies who offer specialized insurance across business sectors. Regardless of where you are in your insurance journey, we want to invite you to join us to think about insurance differently. Know your risk and insurance coverage with Risk ProNet provides answers to all your insurance questions. Welcome to Know Your Insurance and Insurance Coverage with Risk ProNet. Hey, we're going to continue our conversation today with Kevin Brooks from Johnston, Kendall and Johnson in the Philadelphia area. Last time we spoke to Kevin a lot of, excuse me, around a lot of personal lines issues, and we're going to continue on that theme today. And today we're going to spend 15 to 20 minutes just talking about the sharing economy, what that is, the impact it has on insurance, and provide some information that if you're participating in the sharing economy, I think you'll find useful to help mitigate the exposures and maybe make a better decision. So, Kevin, welcome back. It's great to have you on again. How are you doing? Hey, Chip. Thank you very much for the uh, the kind introduction and for the opportunity to come back. Uh, hey, I am doing well, and the personal insurance world is uh, treating me well and keeping me busy, right? No doubt. Things are constantly changing, and uh, I think a big prompt for our discussion today, right? Oh, without a doubt. Well, I think we've had some recent examples even in the news that I think are going to be pertinent. So, hey, let's just get started. Kevin, can you tell us, uh, in, in regards to insurance, what is the sharing economy and what should uh, consumers out there and our clients out there be thinking about? Yeah, so, Chip, it's a great question because I think a lot of folks out there think they know what the sharing economy is, and many of them are partially correct. And then um, even with my own research recently, you know, in preparation for this conversation, I mean, there's a, a whole world out there that even I, in the insurance world for a decade, was not aware of. So, in broad strokes... The sharing economy is an economy that is built around optimizing underutilized assets, right? Um, and we'll kind of go into, you know, what those may be. But it's also the idea that technology matches supply and demand for a particular product or service, whatever that may be. Now, companies that are within this space, they use a tech-driven platform to connect people that have, you know, the extra time or the extra assets to the folks that are looking for these services. So we know, I think the most common one I think about when you mention that is Uber, right? That would be the, the most famous one. And I, I know there's some other ones to elaborate on that. So I know there's multiple types and we have a couple ones that most people are familiar with. What should we be thinking about? What are some examples and how is the technology and what role does that play in it? Uh, you have some examples of various services or platforms that are used in the sharing economy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Uber is a big one. Um, and I will tell you, and I, I looked, there was a really good article um, that, I, again, I did some research on that I believe the Hartford Insurance Company published, it, believe it or not, it was a couple of years ago. Um, and they, they broke down several categories of what really encompasses this sharing economy. And the first one, and this is actually where Uber kind of falls into, would be alternative mobility. So it would be considered ride sharing um, or card sharing. And we'll go into that a little bit deeper dive in a moment. Micro-mobility was another category that they identified. So you can think about the, the micro-traveling, so uh, mopeds, scooters, e-bikes, that kind of thing. Uh, On-demand delivery, which many of us would think of, you know, the door dashes of the world, any kind of delivery service which became wildly popular during the course of the pandemic, right, where traveling outwards was really less of a possibility, whether just realistically speaking or from a comfort level. 
Um, you have space and asset sharing, which this is where, Chip, you think of uh, the uh, the Airbnbs and the VRBOs and these platforms for secondary homes, right? Um, and then you have on-demand services and tasks. Again, this is what Hartford is describing to us. Um, so you think of that as people who can assist with assembling, you know, furniture, uh, repair work, handyman type of things, uh, babysitting, dog walking. Um, Chip, I think what the most important thing is to just remind folks, too, is this economy this existed long before COVID. I mean, there's there was conversations about these things that we just mentioned dating back to, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015. It exploded once COVID hit and people were looking for more private, less crowded ways to spend time or to travel. I get it. I get it. So now you, you mentioned a few and then I it, it resonates, right? The dog watching apps that came up when you try to find a place to watch your dog if you're going out of town. That I hadn't thought about that one for a while. And I think, I, you know, Uber, Lyft, and of course, Airbnb, the ones that most of us use. And, I, you know, most of, uh, we have probably quite a few clients that have a second home or that are utilizing a VRBO or Airbnb as an income source. So within this sharing economy, if, if you're going to engage in it, now what are some of the issues and challenges from an insurance standpoint and a liability standpoint that our clients should be thinking about. I mean, uh, they just, someone decides, I don't think it's, I don't, I, I think there's a low barrier to entry if you want to participate. And I, oftentimes when that's the case, people don't think about any risk associated with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that was perfectly articulated that the low barrier to entry comment that you just made, I'll have to, I'll have to jot that down somewhere. Um, the insurance industry is obsessed with ownership. Right. I mean, you own your house, you insure your house, you own your car, you insure your car, you own your e-bike, you attempt to insure your e-bike. Right. If you can find a market for it. Younger generations, and I will say younger, I know this is not limited to younger folks by any means, but just kind of work with me here, particularly millennials, Gen Z's. I'm a millennial myself, so this resonates with me. The the obsession with ownership is not as much of an issue anymore. Right. Like these folks don't care about ownership. They care about utilization. So the in, traditional insurance companies and traditional policies, again, for the home, auto, condo, et cetera, they generally don't provide coverage, whether it's physical damage or liability, if you're using a personally owned tangible asset to make a profit. So if you are the owner and you're allowing somebody else to use what you have to make money, generally speaking, there's kind of a line in the sand there where the personal insurance companies that you know and love, no names mentioned, right, but pretty much everybody they don't want to give you coverage for that because the the dynamics of the exposure that they agree to protect you for, it's shifted. And many times it's shifted to the degree where it's it's a substantial increase in risk that they don't know about because most folks don't think to call their insurance agent or call their insurance company and say, hey, you know what? That mountain house up by the lake, I haven't been up there in six months. I think I'm going to put it on VRBO and see what happens. Maybe I can make a few bucks and you know chip away at my mortgage. So there's just kind of a, a misconception, I think, Chip, of folks that assume that because they have a traditional policy in force for some of these tangible assets, they assume that they are not required to notify, again, their company or their agent about the change in what's happening there, the occupancy, when that really, in reality, could not be further than the truth. Totally right. You know, and I don't think most people realize that your insurance contract you know, it's a contract, what they call a contract of adhesion, meaning it's one-sided, right? But exactly. no one knows what it really says. And I, I <laughs> right. think most people don't pay any attention to some of that fine print-like like material change and risk. And so 
What about, do you think people, uh, then when they sign up to be an Uber driver or Lyft, you, you, I'm sure they have some sort of insurance requirement that you have to say, hey, I have X, or maybe even on VRBO where you think, well, I signed up, maybe they provide insurance for me, I don't need to worry about it. Do you have any uh, guidance on what people should be doing when they sign up for one of these sharing economy platforms that they want to participate in? Yeah, uh, for sure, Chip. And I think, and, and again, you are you are correct in the sense that these platforms absolutely have their own primary underlying coverage to handle any issues that arise during the course of that transaction, right? Again, you have to think of it as there's, this is, there's a whole new insurance ecosystem that is unfolding before our eyes where insurance companies, they're not only looking for ways to address, you know, directly the person that is putting their asset up on the, the market on these platforms for use. They have to help insure the platforms themselves. So again, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the Airbnbs, the VRBOs, and I'll give you a few more examples throughout the course of this conversation because again, it's, it's fascinating what now exists. But if we stick to kind of those core four, let's call them, you know, for home and auto, um, they have their own coverage. But what you're, what we're starting to find is that there's, there's cracks in the armor, you know, like there's, there's gaps here that could exist where, you know, the, the user might think that they have coverage and they might assume that either the, the platform is providing the, the primary coverage or that their personal policies are the backup plan. But the reality is that, again, if you're not notifying your company or your agent about exactly what you're doing, the company or the agent can't kind of jump in to say, hey, you know, pump the brakes. Um, you need to be thinking about X, Y, or Z. Maybe there's an endorsement that you need to purchase, or maybe maybe coverage doesn't exist and you have to look at a different company that can better address that exposure. Um, one of the interesting ones, Chip, that I researched, and I've seen this within our own practice at Johnson, Kendall & Johnson, um, there is a, a gap for ride-sharing coverage. So if you are a driver, again, for an Uber or a Lyft, and you're logged into the platform and you're cruising around town and you're looking for someone to pick up, if you are involved in an accident during that period of time where, again, the app is on, you are technically you know, eligible to receive a, a paid customer, let's call it, or a client, somebody that's going to be getting in the vehicle and you're transporting them from point A to point B. If you haven't yet accepted a ride and you get into an accident, but you're logged into that app, it's kind of an insurance gray area. You know, it sounds like the the companies out there, the platforms, again, the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world, they may or may not respond with coverage. But what you can be pretty certain of is that if your personal insurance company gets wind of that, that you are cruising around for that purpose and you get in an accident, unless you purchase an additional endorsement, they call it like a ride sharing gap coverage chip. That's what these these companies are referring this to. You might be out of luck. Uh, and again, that's for physical damage to your vehicle or bodily injury that you cause to somebody else, right? Whether it's you get in an accident and hurt somebody or you hit a, a bystander, a pedestrian. So there's a lot of issues that can exist here that, uh, again, people are just not thinking about. That's a great point, right? I, I think being clear on that, especially when maybe your kids, your vehicles are on, you have, your, you have a policy for your kids' vehicles and they decide they're going to make a little extra money. They're not going to tell you that they're driving for Uber during the night or whatever the case may be. It also makes me think about, you know, we, we have all these media reports about the behavior of the Uber drivers and the liability associated with that, as well as these VRBOs and people renting them. And then mm -hmm. there's been this backlash like, hey, too big of parties. We didn't know there was going to be 100 people there. I think we've even had some deaths that have happened recently. Yeah at an Airbnb and how, how does all that interface with someone with an Airbnb? I would assume, hey, I rented it out, I'm fine, I did what I was supposed to do. Now this horrific event happens at my house, 
I wasn't party to it. I wasn't there. I got to believe I'm somehow in the loop if something serious enough happens. Absolutely. I mean, it all comes down to ownership, right? At the end of the day, if your name is on that that um, tangible asset on the deed in this example for the house, and I think the example that you're referring to, Chip, is recently in the news here. You know, it's it's late April 2022. Um, there was a shooting that occurred out in uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think it was just like a few days ago where it was an Airbnb house that was rented out. Um, I know that the property, because I read some articles, the property was owned by an LLC. So there is some asset protection there alone, but still, you know, the fact remains the same. There was a, a house that was rented out and there was a massive party that ensued. And there was a lot of underage kids that were at this party. I mean, they're talking hundreds of people lined out the door. Like it looked like it was a nightclub from what some of these, you know, eyewitnesses are telling us. And a shooting occurred and, you know, a couple of kids that were under 18 ended up being killed. Dozens of others were injured. And now the the focus is shifting to who could have allowed this to happen. And there's a lot of scrutiny coming on Airbnb, which was the the sharing platform that this the owner of this house had utilized to, you know, advertise this place. Um, and they're turning around. And again, from what I'm reading recently, they're saying, hey, you know, we don't allow parties. You shouldn't either. This house was, you know, misrepresented to us as far as how it would be rented out. And they're, they might try to get out of, you know, providing coverage. Now, time will tell if that happens, but you could already see the amount of questions that are starting to open up in terms of who's liable for this. Is, is Airbnb going to provide coverage? And if they're not, is, is a homeowner's policy going to provide coverage for this? I mean, I could tell you from a lot of experience, the answer is probably not. I mean, unless they have like some crazy coverage endorsement or policy that I've never heard of, which is highly unlikely. I mean, in the best case scenario, Chip, this person notified their insurance company and their insurance agent that this property was rented out on a short-term basis via Airbnb. And, you know, they, they maybe they have a, a coverage endorsement that says, if damage occurs or bodily injury occurs, this property will provide excess coverage, excess being the key word to anything provided by Airbnb, you know, the, the platform's coverage. So if the platform's not giving coverage, is the prior, you know, the, the homeowner's policy going to respond in the absence of underlying coverage? I mean, these are the types of questions, Chip, that insurance nerds like me and, and other folks within this industry, this stuff keeps us up at night because it always comes down to what questions are we not asking that we should be asking that could prevent these types of issues from, from arising in the first place? Yeah. And I think it's funny, right? We're always hesitant when we're talking with our clients about like, we keep asking them information and people are like, well, I, you know, we're not trying to pester somebody to figure it out. We're just trying to make sure we're getting a framework around to give them the best options possible. Because you explain like the Pittsburgh situation, most people probably don't have enough liability coverage if there is even coverage available to cover something like that if something horrific were to happen. So, okay, you mentioned kind of, or excuse me, you did mention that for the Uber, there's this ride share gap coverage. Do you have some examples of current insurance solutions for the sharing economy that our clients and listeners, if they're participating, if they haven't checked them out, they should contact their agent and check them out. And I also want to say, um, you want a nerd agent like Kevin Brooks, folks, if you are a, if you're worried about what you're doing, because that's, that's the value you get when you hire an independent broker. So 
uh, little plug yeah, there. So what do you think, I, Kevin? I, what do we do? I, I practice the, I appreciate the, uh, the shameless plug chip. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think as agents, you know, we constantly grapple with the, and, you know, longtime clients and friends of ours and people that we've been working with for years. When we ask these questions and we do some digging, it does kind of, I think sometimes strike a nerve when it, and it creates an uncomfortable conversation that has to be had where inevitably, you know, ask any insurance agent on the planet. We've always gotten some kind of, uh, feedback or retort along the lines of, well, what else are you trying to sell me? You know, that's always, what else are you trying to sell me? And I get it, you know, I do. But um, again, it's what you don't know that's going to hurt you, right, at the end totally. of the day. And I think yep. that's a pretty yep. widely agreed upon, you know, ideal. Um, you need to you need to ask about the the endorsements available. Hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm using my property. What exists? Now, I gave you that ride-sharing gap coverage example. To my knowledge, Chip, there's still... You have to remember, insurance is traditionally a laggard industry. We are slow to respond to the trends of the world, and that's just the way it's always been. And unfortunately, I think with with people that are asking the right questions, that's starting to kind of take a turn. But to my knowledge, you know, with what we work with with our clients, um, there is a, a home sharing endorsement again for those short term rentals. And I think it's important that we we have to define like what is a short term rental from the perspective of insurance companies. At minimum, anything less than a six-month lease agreement is going to be considered short-term, period. So that would be all of your traditionally VRBOs or Airbnb or something. Absolutely, like, yeah. absolutely. You know, and when and when these these companies are asking about what the exposures are for these short-term rentals, they're going to ask how short they are, right? Like they they want to know: Are you renting your you know shore house out on average for a week? or a day, or three days, or three weeks? I mean, these are all pertinent underwriting questions because I think in the, the insurance company's mind, the, the longer the lease agreement, the better chances that the person that is staying there is going to want to care for the place that they're in, if only for the fact that they don't want to be living in filth for three weeks versus if it's just a night. You know, like this Airbnb example, people rent Airbnb properties out for a night all the time. And I think the uh, the accountability factor really deteriorates uh, and there's a direct correlation between the accountability factor of keeping a place nice and the length of the lease agreement um, or the lease terms or the Airbnb terms, et cetera. So, uh, you know, long answer to a short question, right? But I, from what I've seen, the ride sharing gap endorsement and when they would call like a, a home sharing host activities endorsement on, you know, homeowner's policy, that's pretty much all I've really seen. The two now, things that are available. Yeah. From what I've seen, again, and I, you know, I, I'm an expert, but I can only speak to the the situations that I've seen. You know, like I, I've I've learned to make recommendations and read the policy forms and the endorsements when it becomes an issue for us. You know, like when I talk to clients and they say, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Will my company cover me?" And that's kind of what prompts a lot of these discussions. And again, if you're not asking the right questions, you're never going to know how your your clients are really using their tangible assets. Now, let me give you because there's one thing that I I kind of um I. I neglected to mention to you earlier, because again, we've been focusing a lot on, you know, the home and the auto, but let me give you a few other examples that might kind of blow your mind and hopefully for the benefit of our listeners here too. Um, So we talked about, you know, when you are acting as the driver, if you own your vehicle and you are driving that and transporting someone from point A to point B, that's the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world. There are also car sharing platforms out there. I wanted to ask you about that yeah. because it's not just the car sharing. The other one you're seeing is if you have a surplus piece of a power equipment, you can right. rent it out. You know, so here I have a chainsaw. Right. Hey, I'll make a few bucks renting out my chainsaw or my pressure washer or whatever, or tractor, whatever the case may be. 
I don't even know where you start and stop on something like that. So go ahead. That was my next question was. No, it's it's great. And look, I, I think um, as in many cases that I encounter when having these types of conversations, I, I kind of feel like we're going to open up more questions than answers, but at least we're asking the right questions, right? So um, Turo, T-U-R-O, that's a very, it's becoming a much more well-known platform for folks to rent out their vehicles on a short-term basis. And for the purposes of this conversation, I'm not going to go into uh, the weeds with you too much here, but what I can say is there are many stipulations as far as the type of vehicle that can be rented. Um, I can tell you point blank, your personal auto policy is not going to respond to that, you know, period. So if you have questions, go talk to your agent folks, because I promise you, if you think you have coverage, you don't. You can rent pools, Chip. You can rent out your pool for a day to guests if they are looking for a place to hang out and uh, get some shade and, and enjoy themselves with some friends. There's a, a platform out there called Swimply. It is, you know, it's, it's spelled how it sounds, Swimply. There is actually, and this was one that kind of blew my mind, there is a, a platform called SniffSpot, S-N-I-F-F-S-P-O-T, where you can rent out your yard to folks for to allow their pets to roam and play for a while on a per pet slash per hour basis. So think of it as kind of like a bark park for a fee, if you will, right? These things exist. Um, you can rent out your vacant land to campers to set up shop. There's a place called Hip Camp for that. That's another platform. You know, people are renting out their space for people that are looking for additional storage capacity uh, on a, a platform called Neighbor. You can rent RVs, Chip, on a platform called Outdoorsy. You can rent your stuff, your exercise equipment, your yard equipment on a platform called Burrow. I mean, the list goes on. You get the point. I mean, it's it's insane. It, and it's amazing the ingenuity of of, of this explosion <laughs> of software, right? It's like right. these write this algorithm. Here's an idea. Can we scale it up and let her rip? And so you mentioned those things, and all of those may not resonate with me, but I certainly know they resonate with a lot of people. And what do you do in a case like that? I mean, I wanted, I would think the insurance industry has probably not even responded at all on the personal lines to taking your equipment and lease it, or renting it to somebody for an hour. And how do you validate that it's in good maintenance and things of that nature? I mean, it's hard enough for a rental yard to cover themselves and they have policies and procedures to do it. So what's the solution there? Is there one? I think what we're going to find, Chip, is that the the personal insurance marketplace can only do so much because, again, as a rule of thumb, and, I, and this is a broad strokes comment that, you know, take it for what it's worth. And again, talk to your agent folks, talk to your insurance company. But if you are using a tangible asset to make a fee or to make a profit, I should say, um, there's a good chance that coverage will not exist. And if that's the case, you need to do your own research thoroughly with the platform that you're using, vet out the platform and find out what type of coverage that they will provide. Because as the platform, I can tell you right now, 98% of the personal insurance companies that we represent in our agency, their expectation is that, again, we talked about it earlier, any coverage that they provide will be ancillary. And it's not coverage that they're providing for free. They're still going to charge you you know, additional fee for that coverage endorsement or whatever the case may be. But the expectation is that it's going to be ancillary coverage, secondary to whatever the platform is providing. So again, it's a whole new ecosystem, Chip. I mean, you are finding, um, there are markets out there for folks in the audience that maybe speak some insurance ease, Lloyd syndicates, which is basically a secondary market that takes on anything that nobody else wants. It's a, it's based in London. Um, Lloyd's folks is not an insurance company. It is a, think of it as a, a group 
group of underwriters that all operate under the same roof, but they all represent their own respective interest. And they they get their hands dirty and they get creative and they provide solutions that no standard insurance company, U.S.-based or otherwise, is willing to get involved with. So what we're seeing is these Lloyd syndicates, Chip, are starting to provide solutions for these sharing platforms. And it's incredible because what it's doing is it's it's creating a sense of, of trust and loyalty on the end user's perspective or from their perspective where like, hey, you know what, I'm fine with renting out my house on you know, Airbnb or VRBO, or I'm okay with driving for DoorDash because I know that they've got coverage. So it's opening up a whole new world of of opportunities in the insurance space that never existed maybe two, three years ago. Well, and I think with this uh, on, p- piling on on top of the great resignation and everything else, right, there's more people than ever that are making some extra income doing DoorDash or food delivery. And it'll be interesting to see as we open back up where that all ends up. So, so if you wanted to put the, put a bow on what we talked about today, Kevin, what would be your two, three things that you would tell all clients as a takeaway? Like, let's make sure you do this besides one, tell your agent everything that you're doing, even if you don't think it's important. What else, what else would you put on that list? Yeah, I mean, again, it's kind of a repeat of what we already said, but, you know, do do your own research. Reach out to to the platforms and find out what type of coverage. Set the expectation up front before you put your tangible assets and, frankly, you know, your, your livelihood uh, on the line. Um, make sure that you're having those conversations. Don't assume anything. That's the big number one. Parents out there. You know, if, if you have uh, a child that's of driving age, it could be a tough conversation, but you need to ask them. If they are driving your vehicles, you mentioned earlier, everyone's got a side hustle these days, right? You could be, you know, making six figures on Wall Street and you might still be an Uber driver because you have the time and you want to do it. Ask the questions of your kids if they are using their vehicle for anything like that, any kind of a ride sharing platform or, you know, again, a DoorDash, any kind of delivery service. Because I promise you, if that vehicle is titled and registered in your name, which I'm willing to bet that it is if we're talking about a 16 through 19 year old child, um, it's the old proverbial, you know, your assets are in the trunk. And if something happens, you're going to be on the hook, whether or not you knew that it was going on. Yeah, our kids in college, right? That would be the other one, right? Absolutely. You know, you, you never know what your kids are doing in college. So Right, right. And then uh, and then number three, and again, we kind of already said this, but just when in doubt, have the conversation with your agent. I mean, we are, this is all we do. Um, I like to think that we are, you know, inherently a good bunch. We want to do what's right. We know that this, this industry is relationship driven um, and we want to give you the right advice. And we recognize that having tough conversations is sometimes a part of that. And we, we can't always give you, um, you know, good news, but I can promise you there's only one thing worse than paying a higher premium, and that's having an uncovered claim. And in a lot of these cases, you're going to have an uncovered claim if the insurance company doesn't know how you're using these these tangible assets. Well, that's one thing that we don't want anyone to have to go through, right? No one wins in that Amen situation. That. So, right, right. Well, hey, this has been super enlightening. I appreciate, I think everyone who's been listening appreciates the advice you've given us. And the, just the up, up to date and a quick little synopsis of the sharing economy what it means, and if you're participating in it, what you need to do to protect yourself. So, Kevin, thank you very much. It's been great to have you back and listen to your thoughts on this subject. Hey, my pleasure, Chip. I appreciate you having me on and uh, always happy to have another conversation. So invite me back, please. Yeah, we'll get you back. We'll get you back. And so for, uh, again, this is Know Your Insurance Coverage with Risk Pro Net. Risk Pro Net members are across the United States. 
encourage you, if you're, if you're having any questions around these lines, look up Risk Pronet. Take a look to see if there's an agency near you and you can get some solid advice just like you just received from Kevin. So, Kevin, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Nice to see you. Thanks so much again, Chip. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Know Your Risk and Insurance Coverage with Risk Pronet. For more information about Risk Pronet, please visit our website. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter for insurance insights. From everyone at Risk Pronet, we want to say thank you for tuning in and see you next time. <music>